I'm so glad each and every you, each and all of you are here today. Each and all of you, each and every one, however that comes out. It means everybody. For all my Spanish-speaking folks, todo personas en la iglesia, hola. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> None of that's in my notes. I'm just glad you all are here. I'm glad you all are here today. We're wrapping up a series called Confidence. How do I live confidently in an insecure world? Did you know that as human beings, we naturally drift towards insecurity? We naturally drift towards I'm not good enough. We naturally are looking for reasons for for how I can be better to my spouse or how I can feel worthy to be a man or worthy to be a good mom or worthy to do good at my job. And we naturally beat ourselves down. Um, I've never heard anybody say, I need more insecurity in my life. I've always heard people say, I need more confidence. And that's what this series has been about. And we've talked about that your source of confidence comes from a relationship in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about from a slightly different angle. I, I remember as a teenager, I, I was a big mouth. I, I was, a, I was a, not a troublemaker on the front scenes, but sometimes I would get into trouble. How, how many of you as a teenager... You did some things you weren't proud of, and you're glad you changed. Yeah, that's everybody in the room. Everyone else is perfect. We're just going to worship you after the service is over. Thanks for coming. Uh, But for the rest of us in here who are being truthful, a lot of us, we needed somebody to pour into us, didn't we? I I remember as a teenager, I I would do stupid things. I remember when I got my first car, it was a 1988 Chevrolet Nova. Uh, Now, before you get all excited, it wasn't the cool Nova that you're thinking about. It was the the Toyota Corolla version. (laughs) It was really, it, it made 18 noises in three gears. That's the one I'm talking about. Uh, it, it, was, it was old enough to have the window that you did this. You remember that? Anybody in the room know what that is? Uh, mine was broke, so I put the handle in the door, and then anytime I wanted to use it, I just shoved it in there and, and, and did it like that. Uh, and I let the oil run out of it, and the little light came on and everything. They call it a dummy light. Now I know what that thing is. Um, I had a buddy of mine. We were all getting our driver's license at the same time and all getting our first cars, and uh, he came to me one day and said, what's that genie lamp on the dashboard for? <laughs> it's the oil light. Well, we didn't know, and I let, let the oil run out of it coming back from Fremont one night in the north side of the county, and next thing I know, I hear what sounds like a baseball bat rattling around in a giant pinball machine. That was what the sound was like, and, and I, I blew what they call a crankshaft bearing, engine went kaput. I was sitting on the side of the road. Luckily, there was a, a, a high school I kind of coasted into. It was the last time I ever drove that car. That's enough to make you feel dumb. I had somebody in my life that came up to me and said, you know what, it's going to be okay. Someone that poured into me and said, you know what, you're not as dumb as you think you are. In fact, there's value in you. It was a youth pastor I had by the name of Cuddy, and that was a nickname. His name uh, was Cuddy. We, we called him Cuddy. This was a youth pastor that let us hang out at his house, and he wasn't just there for us on Wednesday nights during youth ministry, but he, he would let us hang out at his house. He would let us come and... Sometimes at night when there was chances for snow, he would still let us come over. One particular night we were there, and, and we were hanging out doing things and just showed so much like that he loved us. And it snowed so bad that we couldn't drive home. And being a kid, you don't really understand all the repercussions of students hanging out at the youth pastor's house and spending the night. Uh, he and his wife had us over, and um, I remember him calling his pastor, which was his boss at the time, and he looked at us and said, y'all are going to get me fired, you know, and we did it legit and made sure we went through all the right channels and parents were called and everything was accountable. But he was a guy that poured into me, that gave to me, that showed value in me, even when I didn't see it in myself. He would let me come and hang out at, at the church building, even I knew he had things to do. Looking back at it now, I'm like, man, I was, I was such a bother, but it never appeared that way to him. 
Interestingly enough, we need people in our lives to pour into us to get us into the, the plan that God has for our lives. That's what God does. And I'll make a statement that I've made throughout the series, and that is this. You are never more confident in life than when you know that you're in the will of God. Never. When you know you're on a path, even though the path may hurt, even though the path, you may have questions, you know that the one that has you on that path has your back. You, you ne- you're never more confident in life, and this is true whether you believe in Jesus or maybe you're, you haven't crossed that line of faith yet. The fact is, is you're a human being made by God and for Him, and that, and that you'll never have more confidence than when you know that you are in the will of your Creator. I, I want to draw some connections here. Um, because God's will, sometimes we, we don't have all the information we need to make this connection, but God's will is not just something you do, it's a person that you become. It's someone you become. It's not just about doing certain things along the way, it's about growing continually into this person that God has made you to be and walk in His will. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, To your knowledge, this means you're already learning something, he says, add, everybody say add, This says that, you know what, there's this connotation of I'm not just going to stop, but I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to grow. There is growth that happens. Add to self-control, and to your self-control, add patience, and to your patience, add service for God, and to your service for God, add kindness, and to your brothers uh, and sisters in Christ, and to this kindness, add love. And if all these things are in you, and they're growing, say growing, Growing. you're so excited about that, I tell you, they will help you to be useful and productive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, do you know what that verse screams, those verses? Not, not only do they scream growth, but they scream people. They scream, there's other people in my life that this is connected to. They, they, self-control, for what? Towards other people. Patience, for what? For other people. Service, towards who? Towards other people. Kindness, towards other people. Love, towards who? Yourself? <laughs> no. Although you might really love yourself, and I hope you do. Love towards other people. God's plan for you isn't just something you do. It's someone you become, and how you become that person is surrounding yourself with people that are pouring into you and you pouring into others. And that leads us into the second thing about God's will, and that's this. You can't get there alone. It's not something you do. It's someone you become, and you can't get there alone. God uses other people to accomplish His will and His plan in your life. Now, for some of us in the room, we're like, I just want to do it by myself. But that's just, it can't happen. Jesus came to this earth to die for two relationships, yours and his, that's the primary one, and then yours and and other people's, his church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 really hits the nail on the head as to why we have to have other people in our lives in this thing called the church. It says that the whole body depends on Christ, and and the church, the, the body of Christ is compared to an actual body here. He says we're all dependent on Christ, and all the other parts of the body are joined and held together, and each part does its work to make the whole body grow. You are, a, you are a part of this thing called the body of Christ, and your job is to work, to serve, so that everybody else in the body can grow and be strong with love. So do you see how that ties together when it comes to our confidence? Your confidence, your true confidence, is found in knowing that you are in the will of God for your life, the plan that God has for you. That's where confidence is, and the only way to, to live in God's plan is to grow, and you need other people to grow. You see how that, it's this cycle that, that goes around. Now, you may think, I don't need anybody else to grow. And when I, when I said that, you need somebody else. For some of you in the room, you're like, I don't need anybody. Maybe you were taught that, or maybe just your past 
makes you kind of withdraw and say, you know what, me and only me, and if rubber meets the road, I can be for myself, and, and I don't need anybody to grow. In fact, I can sit at home and, and watch devotions, or I can sit at home and grow in Christ myself, um, and, and I would say, okay, but who, where do you think the devotions came from? <laughs> where do you think the sermon came from that you're watching? Where do you think the book came from that, that you're reading? Somebody else walked in the plan for God's life, and somebody else poured into them so that they could create this resource for you. And uh, you may, let, let me just give you that for a minute, and let's just say you do stay at home and you learn all that. That doesn't mean you're growing. It just means you're becoming a smarter, selfish person. <laughs> you're, you're becoming knowledgeable about things, but you're staying selfish. True growth, the kind that God uses as part of his plan for you, it means that you're becoming someone that he uses to reach others. And that's where confidence is found. Now, some of us, when we think about this kind of thing, and we think about people growing and people being fed spiritually, we think, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. That's what we pay the pastor to do. Um, and I just want to say, first of all, thank you. I, I appreciate you taking everyone's spiritual growth and just resting it squarely on my shoulders. I, I just was waiting for you to do that. Um, and I, just, I say that facetiously because not only is that not possible, that's not what God intended. The, the scriptures say this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He says, he, meaning God, he says he gave some to be, and he talks about some spiritual gifts there, but he said he gave some to be pastors. Some people are called by God to pastor other people in the context of the church. And he says, this is their job, to prepare God's people for works of service. Say prepare. prepare. My job is to prepare you for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. My job isn't to do everything. My job is, to, in this context of the bridge, church, sure, to lead a group of people that can lead others to prepare this place to be conducive for service and for being fed and for being built up and to being edified and being unified. That's my job. My job is not to do all the work of the ministry. My job is to make sure that this church is a place that prepares you to do it. I heard Francis Chan say something one time that rocked my world. He says, in the church world today, we have the propensity to wreck God's church. And the reason is because we're making people consumers when we're supposed to be making them servants. And, and, and that rocked me. I'm like, man, we do such a good job at having a church service. It's the easiest thing you'll do all week. You come to church, you, you're greeted, you're welcomed in. You're, if you're here for the first time, man, we make a big deal, and we're supposed to. You have a cushiony seat, you got heat in the winter, air in the summer, you got lights, you got sound, you got talented people, you hear a great message, you go home, we wave at you. It is the easiest thing you'll do all week. And if we're not careful, this is all church will be about, and you will do nothing but consume. Whenever my job as a pastor is to be turning us all into servants for Jesus Christ. And we need people in our lives that will tell us the truth to be able to do that. I, I am not mandated by God to stand up here and feed you consumerism and to feed you lights and to feed you cool stuff. It's just a philosophy. I'm proud of the way we, we do church around here. I'm proud of the philosophy that we use. And the reason is because people are getting saved. But it's not the only thing we do. And if God calls us to change and do it a different way, guess what? We're going to do it because the main thing is the main thing. And that's people giving their lives to Jesus Christ and the church being built up and edified in love. But my job is not to do that. My job is to prepare you to serve. My job is to prepare you, as Paul told the church, to prepare you for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. Now, I say all that to say my job isn't to do everything, but my job is to make sure that we're growing and that you are ready. But it's this perfect cycle of, of confidence in your life. God, his will being carried out in your life, that's when you're the most confident. And his will being carried out in your life depends on you growing. 
And growth demands that we have other people surrounding us in our lives, that you're serving others and others are serving you. Let me flip that and say it a different way. Your confidence will wane and waver unless you give yourself to investing in other people and letting other people invest in you. Say gotcha if you're with me. You can't always choose when somebody else pours into you, although don't you wish you could push the button? I'm ready to be served today. And then like three people show up and say, how can we serve you? Um, if you have a lot of kids, you just love that button, wouldn't you? <laughs> just time for supper, easy button. Somebody come and serve me. Um, we can't choose when other people serve us. We can't, we can't always know how and when God's going to pour other people into our lives. So what I want to focus on today is how you can be a people builder. You know that when, when you want to be served, 10 times out of 10, God will say, serve. <laughs> He's not just going to put people in your life to do that. He will make you the type of person that serves others. And it's this beautiful cycle that happens. We put ourselves in a position to serve, which, by the way, you're the most fulfilled when you're serving because that's what Jesus did. He will put people in your life. So, so I want to talk for a few minutes today on how to be a people builder, how to build people up, how to serve other people. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Have you ever wondered what that looks like? Maybe in your life you're already a people builder. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're somewhere kind of in the middle of the road. And, and what I want to do is I talk about three kind of main things that people builders do. I want us to evaluate ourselves and just have fun doing it. We're not going to scream out loud and give each other our answers, but I, I want you to give yourself today the gift of self-awareness. And no, it's a gift because sometimes we make decisions here and they're tethered down to decisions and hurts that we have down here and we never, we never kind of make the two together and so we don't know why we're making these decisions on the surface even though something happened in our past and we've, we've never married those two. So give yourself the gift of self-awareness today and say, why, why am I a people builder or why am I not? What areas can I grow? And we'll do a, a, a one to 10 thing. It's a self-evaluation. So when, when I do sermons like this and I say, I want you to evaluate yourself, the first rule I have is this is a no judgment zone, okay? And I'm not talking about you judging somebody else. I'm talking about you judging yourself. Uh, the, this, is a not, this is not a place where we're going to condemn ourselves today. This is a place where we're going to do this lightly, but we're going to do it truthfully, and we're going to have some self-awareness. You with me? All right. So the first thing I want you to know about uh, people who build people up, build others, is they give others a personal challenge. They give others a personal challenge. Paul, in the Bible, he wrote a lot of letters to the church, and it, it, it instructs us today. He wrote it to us today, too. He says this in chapter 4, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. I, I urge you to stand up in the face of all your challenges and live a life that's worthy of the call that God's put on your life. What is he doing? He's talking to the church, and he's saying, I'm giving you a personal challenge to step up and be all that God wants you to be. I want you to get out of consumer mode, and I want, I want you to understand what it is God has for you and get in the will that God has for you. Walk in it. Walk worthy. He was delivering a, a personal challenge. Do you know the power of a personal challenge in somebody's life? How many of you are football fans in here? How many of you are Green Bay Packers fans in here? Yeah, there's always some in every service. I don't know why, but no, I'm I'm kidding. Did you know that the Green Bay Packers, some of their history is they went 12 years losing 75% of their games? In fact, in 1958, they lost 90% of their games. And then something happens. It, it was crazy. The next nine years, they won 75% of their games, which included uh, five national champions in their, in their championships and their first two Super Bowls. Now, what changed? It, it was pretty much the same team. It was pretty much the same hometown fans. It was the same stadium. What was different about it? 
It was a people builder by the name of Vince Lombardi that came to town, and he believed that that accomplishment had more to do with character than it did ability. And he delivered these personal challenges to them, and it pulled out the best in them. That's the power of a personal challenge. Do you know that God has people around you right now that he has given you the power of influence in? And they are waiting for you to deliver a personal challenge to them, to call them out lovingly to this path that God has called them to walk in. And, and when you do this, it's powerful. God will, will breed change in their life, sometimes by your words. It's interesting that we pray for God to do things, and we want Pastor Ryan and, and pastoral-type people to do it, and people that are more godly than us. But God will always use sometimes the simplest of people to go speak a word and pull the best out of somebody. Sometimes it's the, sometimes I stand up here every week and deliver challenges, but sometimes it's your mouth because, because you don't hold the, the same weight as a stage does. It's, it's your words that will speak into somebody's life that God will anoint and God will use and infuse to bring change in somebody's life. Who is around you? Who, who could be potentially changed because of a personal challenge that you give? One word about personal challenges, make sure that when you do it that you don't take responsibility for somebody, that you leave the responsibility for the challenge to them. A lot of times we can deliver the personal challenge and then baby them the whole way. Nothing builds confidence faster in somebody's life than when you trust them, when you deliver your trust to them and you let it rest there. Not taking the responsibility for them, because when you take the responsibility for somebody, you take it from them. We want someone to be responsible, or as somebody I heard say one time, we want them to be response-able. We want them to be able to take steps and be responsible for the will of God uh, in terms of their part and what they're supposed to be doing uh, for God's will in their life. So I just want you to rate yourself right now. How, how are you doing at delivering a personal challenge to people in terms of being a people builder, knowing that our confidence is based in God's will and we need others? And how are we doing at that? How are we delivering personal challenges in people's lives? Maybe you're somebody that says, you know, it's too much to bother with. I'd rather just do things myself. Give yourself a one. Don't say that loud. Give yourself a one. Maybe you're somebody that says, well, I see value, but I could never do that. Maybe you're a three because maybe you're at least thinking about it. Uh, maybe you'd be somebody that said, you know, I'm constantly looking for ways to, to bring the best out of people. And, and you know, I, I want people to be used the way God intended. So I deliver personal challenges often. Give yourself a 10. Give yourself a 10. Where, where are you at on that scale? People builders give others a personal challenge. The second thing that people builders do is they give honest counsel. People speak truth and they give honest counsel. Did you know that we all have blind spots? We all have ways about going things in our lives that we're blind to. Even sometimes it's destructive and we don't see it. And we need to count on God using other people to speak honestly to us to tell us the truth about things that are really happening in our lives. Tell us the truth about, about how our actions are affecting other people or affecting our situation. Proverbs 24, 26, um, interesting verse. It says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now, I'm not suggesting you go out and do that today, but I'm just saying back in that culture, that was a, a very uh, normal way to greet the people that, that you loved. It sounds weird in our culture. Uh, but what he's saying is having somebody be honest with you is just as affectionate and just as life-giving as a kiss. Real friends care enough to confront. R real friends, people that are building you up, they care enough to come to you because they know it's going to make you better. And that's, that's the driving force behind it. They see the truth as something that builds you up. Um, sometimes honest counsel is awkward. And so when you think about being a people builder, gosh, sometimes giving someone the truth is, is weird and awkward. 
Well, think about this. You go all day with your fly down, and nobody ever says anything. <laughs> Why? Why? It's just awkward. Hey, you're, how do I say it? X, Y, Z? You remember that? I, I, but it's that friend that comes to you and says it, right? It's, it's the person at the office that you're closest to that comes and says it. Why? Because it can get awkward sometimes. How, sometimes honest counsel is painful. Sometimes it's painful. One of the most painful conversations I ever felt like I had to have was with a friend of mine who was making some, some decisions that were based on hurt, and he didn't see it as something that was tethered to something as, as, as hurt. He was just making decisions on the surface. It was costing him a lot of time um, from his family, costing him a lot of runaround. And really what he was doing is he was pushing for validation in his life. He was pushing for public applause, and what he didn't realize is that he was already as talented, he was already as loved by God, and already as well-liked as anybody. But this, this, this blind spot kept him pushing. And maybe you know somebody like that in, in your life. Maybe you are that person. But really, what this type of person is looking for isn't public affirmation. They're just trying to fill a void that still hurts. And it takes a loving friend to come and say, you know what? You're making these decisions, and you think it's, it's getting you this, but, but as a friend that loves you, can I just tell you the honest truth? This is also happening that you may not be seeing. And by the end of the conversation, there were some tears. I mean, it was emotional. There was, there was some thanks. There was some self-awareness. Um, there wasn't any kissing on the lips, but there was, there was some manly uh, hug-outs that we did, and the manliest way possible. But sometimes giving honest counsel can be tough. Sometimes giving honest counsel can be tough whenever you're affected emotionally by what the person's doing, and you have to check your own emotions before going to them. So sometimes whenever your son or your daughter is making some really bad decisions that's affecting their own lives and affecting your household, and you have to go be the one to say something, or, or if they have kids that's affecting their kids and, and your grandkids, and you're emotionally distraught about it, and you know the truth, you know they need to see it, but the, the way your brain is wired at that moment is not the way that Christ would do it. And so it requires you checking your own emotions before giving, before giving the honest counsel. Sometimes it can be difficult because you are affected and you're biased and you don't realize it. And so sometimes you have to have a sense of self-awareness. I would go as far as to say if you're affected emotionally by what somebody is doing and you know they need honest counsel, you may not be the one that needs to give it to them. It may need to be somebody else. But the whole point is speaking the truth to them and, and marrying that truth with love. Because truth without love is not a virtue worth having. Christ never did that. And Paul said, hey, this is what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, he laid it out. Truth without love is, is not a virtue worth having. Paul was talking to the church in Ephesians 4, and he said this, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Did you know that Christ loved the church so much he died for it? I mean, it, was, it wasn't that he died for the church and then decided to love it. He loved the church so much he died for it. It was a love-driven gift. He loved first, and then he gave the gift. He loved first, and then gave the truth. And so often, we can tell the truth and put love in the back seat. And so we, just because it's true, we need to say it. That's not what Christ said. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the scriptures teach us as, as, us as the church. We've got to love first, find that place, then give. Love first, then tell the truth. Check emotions, get with Christ, figure out what he did for us, make that real again, fill our love tanks with love, and then pour out. And so often we, we get that backwards. And he says, look, we, we, we know the truth. He said we lovingly, we tell the truth all the time, but we do it lovingly. We speak in truth. We deal in truth. We, we, we are glad for the truth. 
But he says we do it as Christ did when he loved, when he loved the church. Can you speak lovingly? Did you know that has nothing to do with a tone of voice? But it has everything to do with your attitude. It has everything to do with where you've been. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. And, and maybe today you're, you're sitting here going, you know what, I, I don't have the right attitude. I know a lot of truth, and I can say a few things that's true, but your well's empty. The love tank, it's empty. And you can't pour out water from a dry well. Did you know that? You've you got to go somewhere and get that thing filled up. That thing is Christ Jesus who died for you. You fill up that love tank, then you've got something to offer. Water will not flow from a dry well. And I think so many times, especially as Christians, we think just because we know the truth that that's going to suffice. Christ never intended us to live like that. We're, we're, we're speaking from a dry well. And it may be truth, but it will not change a heart. It, it may be truth, but it will not have the Holy Spirit's power behind it. We, we have got to speak truth, but we have to marry it with love. If you're with me, say gotcha. The goal is to build somebody up, not to unload on them. And so you've got to build them up. It always starts with loving like Christ did. So, so I want you to rate yourself. How, how good, how well are you doing at building others up with honest counsel? Now, maybe you'd say today, if this is you, oh, I, how am I supposed to do that when everyone around me uh, is, is, is doing these things and they, they never... They never even think that, that they could hear that from me. I, they'd never be able to take it well. If that's you, if you're saying that and you're making that excuse, then give yourself a one. <laughs> if, you, you know, if you were somebody that says, you know, there are people that count on me for encouragement, including hard facts, including truth that sometimes hurts, then give yourself a 10. Where are you at on that scale? If you're making excuses because you think the person could never hear it, then then you give yourself a one. Fact is, is that you're not doing them a favor by not telling them. And in fact, they'll probably hear it from somebody else eventually and completely be dumbfounded and wish somebody had said something. Um, so get, get with God, fill up your love tank, and speak truth and love by giving honest counsel. Third thing, say number three. People builders expect the best. People builders expect the best out of folks. Uh, there's a, a study by Harvard done a long time ago. Uh, Robert Rosenthal, he wrote a book, and if, if you're in the education business in any sense, you, you may have heard of this. It's called The Pygmalion in the Classroom. It's a very popular study, and basically what they did in a nutshell is they, they tested K through fifth grade students, and they took the top five achievers from every classroom, and they reported to the teachers and to the students who the top five achievers were. Now, unbeknownst to the teachers and the students, they really didn't go off of the, the stats or the, the testing, they just picked five at random, just random out of the, out of the pot. The scores absolutely meant nothing. Teachers and students didn't know. And so they reported these, quote, top five achievers. And it, it, it was amazing what happened. And here was the catch. Um, the, the teachers didn't know either, and so the students actually began to do better. The ones that thought they were the top five achievers, at the end of the year, they realized their IQs grew 15 to 27 points. The, the, just, the, just by thinking that they were the top achievers. Now, what happened? Because the teachers began to describe them as, as, as more curious, as, more, as wanting to know more, as happier, more affectionate. And the teachers even said that they thought these students uh, would be more likely to succeed than the average kids. You know what the only change was? Be the teachers, when they thought that this was a top achiever, a top producer, they expected more out of them. They looked at them differently. They spoke warmly to them. They, they, their facial expressions were different. 
they, they would look at this person thinking, there's more in you maybe than, than you're thinking, maybe than I'm thinking, but I, I need to pull it out of you. They, they begin to see something inside of them that wasn't just the average Joe. They say, hey, this, this person's got something inside of them that I need to pull out, and the teachers begin to relate to them differently, and the kids' grades skyrocketed. When you reach for the best in somebody, you pull out their best. There, there's this scripture that, that Jesus, it was a parable or a, an illustration of the kingdom of God that Jesus used. And he said, the kingdom of God is like a, a treasure in a field. And he said that someone goes by and they see it. He said, and the man saw it and he, he goes and sells everything he has and he comes back and he buys the whole entire field. And he takes the treasure. And I, I, I want to tell you kind of like that, people are, have treasure inside of them. But so often we don't see the treasure, we see their flaws. Do you know what the man bought when he bought the treasure? He bought the field, too, because he couldn't get the treasure without the field. And you know what else is in the field? Dirt. You know what else is in the field? Mud. You know what else is in the field? Uh, muck, mire. But he had to take the whole thing with it or else he didn't get the treasure. And so often we look at people around us and all we want to focus on is their dirt. We, all we want to focus on is their flaws. We want to focus on, on their past and what they did to us and how bad it hurt. And we never focus on the treasure and the potential that they have inside of them. And all the power of reaching into somebody and not seeing the dirt, not holding their past against them, but just seeing the treasure that's inside of them. The Word says that when you do that, you pull the best out of them. Jesus had 12 disciples, every one of them unlearned men. Later on, the rule uh, the religious leaders said, these guys are a bunch of idiots. It was a Greek word that actually meant they're idiots. They're unlearned men. How are they doing anything? They were tax collectors and fishermen. And Jesus decided to look at them and call them out of their occupations and, and to see the treasure inside of them. They, he, they failed him along the way. These are the 12 guys that eventually reached the known world at the time with the message of Jesus Christ. These were the 12 guys that Jesus used to start the church. One of them stood up. The first message was preached. 3,000 people gave their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. The, the, what happened is in their lifetime, the known world was reached. We're sitting here today at the, in Goldsboro, North Carolina, because 12 unlearned guys had, had somebody with them that reached in and saw the treasure inside of them. What could somebody do around you in your scope of influence if you would see the treasure inside of them and stop seeing the dirt? If you would see the potential inside of them and pull that out of them rather than just see the flaws in their life. People builders expect the best. Does that mean they're never going to disappoint you? No, it means, in fact, they probably will, but you're not looking at the disappointment. You're looking at the proper appointment. You're looking at the treasure inside. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 says that this love that Jesus has for us that we're supposed to use to build into other people, it says this, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures. Say endures. It endures all things. It endures. Did you know that the only reason you're here today is because somebody endured with you? Somebody was willing to see you and, and, and pull the best out in you when nobody else would, including yourself. There were people along in your life, whether you know who they are or maybe you don't, there were people along in your, in, in your life that spoke into you whenever no one else was. That's, that encouraged you and that, that did something in you that made you feel valuable whenever nobody else did. Being a people builder means that you expect the best in other people. Are you a people builder? That youth pastor I was, I was telling you about, he's partly the reason why I'm standing here today. A big part of the reason. I, I say partly because there's lots of other people that have, spoke, have spoken into my life. Um, but the reason, it was a pivotal moment in my life that God used him and only him to be able to speak into me. And I, there were other people that, that spoke into my life again, but he and his wife, Linda, uh, they poured more into me 
than at that moment in my life than I, I could have ever have imagined. I, and I didn't even see it at the time. It's the reason why I'm here. I didn't have a clue where I was going in life. I, I didn't. I, I was unreliable at times. I put my, my foot in my mouth at times. Um, this man took the time to pour into me. This man took the time to see something in me and un, help me to understand that God loved me and that God was interested in my story and, and he was interested in me sharing my story with other people. He put me in leadership within student ministries at the church I was at. Um, and here I was leading students. And, and I was just as, as a teenager, I didn't have a clue the weight of that. I just thought it was cool, you know. And he would continually pour into me. And sometimes I would do good and sometimes I would let him down. But he, he just, he endured with me. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says that when you love somebody and you expect the best, you endure with them. You see the treasure in them and you don't just see the dirt. I'm grateful that a man named Cuddy Peacock took the time not to just see the dirt of a young man that had no clue what he was doing in life, but he saw a treasure in me. He was the guy that helped me get my first job. He, he flew me out to Tennessee just before that. This is how much he, he poured into me, just to try to see if there was a potential college out there that we were looking at. He took me out there to visit it, and we flew back. And, and within a few months, he helped me, uh, through some connections, get a job at a church. He knew that God was wanting to do something in my life in ministry. And I was just dumb enough as a kid to think, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But I, I was either going to go into ministry or I was going to be a fighter pilot or I was going to be a movie star or I was going to go on the road and say, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had some ideas. But there's always somebody that's further along in their life that God will bring into your life to pour into you and to help you. You need that. What are you doing to do that for somebody else? You may say, well, I don't have anybody to, to pour into because everyone else is so much further along. Look behind you. There are people that are not as far along that you can reach your hand down and you can pull up. Cuddy helped me get that first job. And at 20 years old, I moved to a small town called Broadway, North Carolina. It's, it's coined as the one stoplight town with so much more. And uh, we, we went there and, and I was there and I, he, I was put into leadership as a worship pastor at 20 years old. And I was leading people that were twice my age, could be my mother or father, some of them even my grandparents under the leadership of a man named John Sauls. And he was my pastor. And for 12 and a half years, I stayed there. And, and I grew, and he endured with me. And there were times where uh, I was just going too fast. I, I was 20 years old. I, I was just out of teen life, and I had one gear. Fast. I, I didn't know that people had families and lives and needed sleep, and, and they, they had kids. And I, it wasn't my world. I didn't know. And I needed people to help me with that. But I pushed people and pushed people. And, and I remember having a meeting with, with my pastor. And he said, Ryan, you know, you're, you're pushing people too hard. And I'm like, no, I'm not. We can do this in the name of Jesus. You know, I grew up in church. I knew all the cliches. And, and I could, people just aren't committed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he took time with me. I'm, I'm surprised he kept me on staff. I really am. And I stayed there for 12 and a half years. And, and mainly he, he, he let me see his example as he led me. And he poured into me and he expected the best out of me, even when I couldn't see it in myself. And he led me to help me make lots of successful uh, endeavors and, and, and some, uh, for me, sometimes some big mistakes. And he endured with me. Almost 17 years later, that was about 17 years ago, and I get the privilege, it's interesting, I'm, I'm saying this today, but tonight, uh, Jessica and I are going back to the one stoplight town with so much more, and I get to... I get to speak for a few minutes at his retirement party. And so I'm excited to be able to do that. 
But if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for people like Cuddy, I wouldn't be here. You, you know somebody who has poured into your life. Whose life are you pouring into? Whose life are you building up? So rate yourself. Do you build other people by pulling the best out of them, by expecting the best, even if they can't see it for themselves? And then maybe you'd say today, how can I expect the best out of people when everyone around me is a moron? Give yourself a one. <laughs> if that's you, just go ahead and write a one down, you know? Uh, don't show anybody. Or maybe at the opposite end of the spectrum, you say, I do my best to believe and my best to see the best in people, even when they disappoint me. That's a 10. Where are you at in that scale? Can you just give yourself some self-awareness today? The goal is not to, to berate yourself or to beat yourself up, but the goal is to give yourself some self-awareness and say, you know what? Confidence in my life depends on me walking in the plan that God has for me. And that plan demands my growth because God wants me to become something, become a person that pours into other people because growth demands other people in my life. And God is going to bring people into your life and he is going to put people in your life for you to pour into. So where are you at? Will you pour into people? Will you be a people builder? Will you be somebody that God can depend on? I, a prayer that I pray a lot, and maybe you can adopt this for your own heart, it's up to you, but I pray, God, make me a sharp tool in your bag. Make me sharp, make me useful. Nobody wants to use a dull ax. Do you realize that? When you go to chop wood, you want something sharp. You want something that's useful. And God, make me a sharp tool. Make me, when you look at all the people that you want to use, it's, look at, when you see me, I want you to see something valuable and useful, a heart that says, Lord, I'm willing. Is that you today? Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you need some sharpening, and that's okay. God's in the sharpening business. He, he wants to grow you, and he values you. Did you know that at this church, specifically at this location, the Bridge Goldsboro, we've got some things this year, some organizational structure that we're putting into place um, to be able to house and, and give you opportunities to pour into people, to lead people, to grow in your relationship with Christ and mentor other Christians. Um, some of you in this very room, some of you listening online that, that attend this location, you're leaders. And it's not just about serving, it's about leading. And we are creating opportunities to lead at various levels. For some of you, you're, you're a team leader. You, you're, you want to lead, but you're at that level where you still want to have your boots on the ground. You still want to be kind of in the weeds do, doing the work of the ministry. And we have opportunities for you to lead in that way. Maybe for others of you, there's a, you, you broaden the scope and you're kind of a leader of leaders. And it's, it's more about managing people and it's more about making sure ministry happens. We have opportunities for you to lead. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the vision for 019 for the Bridge Goldsboro. And I'm going to be talking about those areas that we have to lead. I'm talking about the three focuses that we're going to be focusing on ministry-wise as we go forward into 2019. God-given vision that God's put in my heart and in the leader of our senior uh, pastor. And, and we're going to go forward in this. And I want you to be a part of it. But it's going to start with us understanding what God's plan is for our lives as individuals. It starts at home. Did you know that? When you are a, a life-giving Christian in your own household, then you bring something to the table here. Nobody wants a faker. People want people that, have, if, if you want somebody, if you want information on how to get out of debt, you go to somebody who's getting out of debt. You go to somebody who's out of debt. You don't go get information from your broke uncle, right? And it's the same thing in, in God's plan for our lives. If you want to be useful in the kingdom of God and the context of the church, then be putting into practice in your own life. And that's what God wants. He wants us to, to let his will thrive in our own lives. And we're going to be talking about that. And, and then after that, after you got that, 
and you're going, we help you do that together. That's not something you have to do by yourself, but it does need to happen. Then you offer something valuable here in the, in the context of this church, serving other people. And we want to be able to help you do that. Next week, I'm going to talk more about what that means. But today, I want you to walk out of here understanding that God is madly in love with you. And he's madly in love with the idea of, of him pouring into your life and you pouring into other people as an overflow. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, sometimes your word's challenging. Sometimes it's, it's fun and exciting, especially when we get to the, the promises and the things that you're going to do in our lives. Lord, but sometimes it's challenging because it means we have to change. But God, your word promises that you never lead us into change that's empty and that won't fulfill eventually. Help us to see that on the front end and charge radically toward you. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately grateful for those of us in the room today who you're speaking to right now because they know that they need you in their lives. And if that's you in the room, I, I don't want you to be freaked out or scared. I want you to understand that God is speaking to your heart. He's speaking to you. And he's saying, I love you. And he's saying that today is the day that I want you to come back to me. And he's asking you the question, would you say yes? I'm going to say a prayer. My challenge to you is to be bold and tell him yes. I, I stand up here and pray this prayer every week. God really doesn't care about my words in the English language. He wants to hear your heart. So as I pray, would you, would you just turn your heart to him and agree? Would you agree with this and just talk to him? God, I need you. I need you. I, if I could have fixed the void in my life, I would have done it already. Maybe there are bouts of unconfidence, and if I'm honest with myself, when I lay down at night, I know what those places are in my life. The unconfident, insecure places, I know where they're at. And I'm sorry for trying to fill those voids with other things. They feel good for a time, but they always turn up empty, and I know I need you. So in faith, I just declare that you're my answer. I believe that you really came to this earth to die for me. I'm not perfect, so I could never be perfect of a worthy God. A perfect, I'd never be worthy of a perfect God and a, and a perfect heaven. So I take on your perfection. You came to this earth. I believe you died for me. For that reason, I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you're alive today. And I, I just trust you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. And I don't have all the answers today. I'm probably not going to have all the answers tomorrow but I know that you're going to give me exactly what I need. And so I just put my trust in you. And I know I'm going to end up at, at the places I need to end up at just the right times. Lord, give me a passion for your word. As David said, create in me a, a new heart and restore a steadfast spirit within me that I may teach other people your ways and other people might turn to you. Thank you for having me, God. Lord, I, I think it's amazing how how you take people sometimes that, that just cross that line of faith and it changes their whole realm of influence and people start coming to you like wildfire. I, I just speak against, I just feel in my spirit, I, I just speak against this idea that, that we're not worthy enough to be used by God. I don't know who that's for in the room right now. You may have, have just given your life to Christ recently or you may have a past that rivals what you would consider the worst. But in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation and God has ordained you to speak his praise and to turn people around in your area of influence. I just speak right now that you are going to walk out of this room and with a heart that says, I am worthy because Jesus made me worthy. 
people are going to change. There are going to be family members that are going to come to Christ because of the influence that God has put in you. There's going to be coworkers that see you this week and they, they notice a drastic change in you and new life is going to happen in them because of what God sees, uh, what, he's, what they see God doing in you. It's not going to be a pastor necessarily. It's going to be you. And God is saying right now, you are worthy. You may not have thought you were worthy walking in the door right now. You may not even feel the feelings, but the God of the, God of the universe, the one that made everything and knows your name, says that you're worthy. And he's saying he wants you to walk out of this very room with your head held high, knowing that he is going to be the one that does the work in you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that word. I thank you that you are moving in each of us. Lord, let us walk out of here today, uh, new creations in you, and help us understand what it means to build others up around. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Can we say amen together?